Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daney. This is Gus Boyet. This is Don Hutchison. This is Jürgen Klopp, and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. I travelled to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios, our beloved members, keep us on the road. This independent podcast would not happen without them. Please go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, to become one of our members and get an extra big interview every month, plus loads of bonus content. So, go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter, and we'll bring you joy. This is part two. Second part of Jimmy Bullard on The Big Interview. Welcome back. In this section, Jimmy and I talked a great deal about what you could call football theory, football ideas, football psychology. Why he played the way he did, how he thinks managers perceived him, and why that changed throughout his career. We also talk a little bit about where English football might be going. Asterisk, warning, upwards, towards success. We didn't get necessarily very deep into Wigan's surge into the Premier League or his time at Fulham and Ipswich and Hull, but the one area of his career that we did stop off on to luxuriate in were those early days after West Ham plucked him out of non-league football and he went from painting and decorating to going to work at his beloved boyhood club alongside one player who had a huge impact on him and who you'll hear about a lot, Paolo Di Canio, is coming again. Please forgive us for a slight dip in our normal sound quality. It's the first time in 97 interviews we've done this remotely and we will iron things out as we continue to record during the quarantine to keep you entertained via the big interview. Thanks for being there. And in the meantime, ladies, once again, Mr. James Bullard. He's a topper. In your career, you got, you know, chopped a lot, and it's off and on the pitch because famously, you play play for Barry Fry, who might only come up to your kneecaps, but you've done your kneecaps. But it, you don't strike me as being somebody who, who lost his temper much, and I ask that because in that match, focusing on the two guys you idolise, especially Zidane, 
I don't know if you remember, at the end of the match, Raul's nicking around in the penalty box and a guy called Kike Alvarez tries to do it. And it's 2-1 to Real Madrid. There's about four or five minutes left. Kike Alvarez tries to do Raul and Zidane's 20 metres away. And he sees it. And just like when he headbutted the Hamburg player um, for Juventus or when he headbutted Matarazzi in Berlin, I was there that, that day. He goes, I'm not fucking having that. And in his teams, there's a big brawl and he gets sent off and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, he was sent off a lot in his career. There was three red cards in that game that we're talking about. Did you ever have a problem with your temper? Did you ever, when somebody, I know that let's not go into the pain of the Scott Park challenge because that, yeah. you've established that happens in football. But people came looking for you quite a lot on and off the pitch. Was that something you were easy to skip away from or your temper rules? It's another good question. And it's something that I learned, again, myself, how to manage. I learned at a young age, I learned, I think just before I come into the pro game, that Jimmy Buller, like, this is how I like to dissect that. I used to play and I used to behave on the pitch. One, I had a strict dad. My dad used to always say to me, Jim, if I see you arguing with a referee, I'll almost disown you. I had a really strict dad. I almost fell out of my dad a lot of times. And it's like, I don't want to see you arguing with your players. I don't want to see you arguing with your manager. I don't want to see any aggravation. He was football, football, football. Everyone will protect you. The referee's there to do one job. My rapport with referees is unbelievable. I'm going off on one here. Just bear with me, right? So that being that was that. As a person, I found very quickly that Jimmy Bullard plays at his best being as happy as I possibly can. So I would play, it seemed like a no fear happy, I'd almost be this character on the pitch, I'd portray this character that nothing phases me. I'm a footballer playing in front of these, let's entertain, if I'm five nil down, don't worry about it, the world's going to be all right, Jimmy's going to be all right, football club, let's really enjoy the situation and make fun out of it. And me being the joker Jimmy that everyone knew me as and still knows me as, a little bit of a character. Only I call it an extension of myself. So an extension of myself, it's it's like when Ronaldo goes on the pitch and he acts as his statue and he's that's an extension. But is he like that every day? No, he ain't like that every day. It'd wear him out. But it's an extension. I was the joker. So to answer your question, I never had an argument on the pitch. Very rare I had an argument on the pitch. You ask every referee, I used to call them by their first name. I had a really good... So I used to manage that. I used to, like, enjoy, like... I used to wind players up. I used to have a bit of... If it was too much, no problem. And in that, Gray, I think it's very important that players respect players. You know, and players respect referees. I'm, I'm really of that ilk where my dad side comes out of me and I play with that smile and that real intense bubbly character but to dissect it I learned that a very long time ago that works for me bro I'm not saying that works for everyone I like to use Wayne Rooney as a scout I believe Wayne Rooney learned at a young age that he plays his very best when he's angry when he's ready to rip someone's head off Graham Wayne Rooney plays his best I'm the other end of the scout like that goal against Newcastle, where he's still shouting at the referee as he fucks the ball in from 70 yards. He's angry. But I've played against Wayne. I've played with Wayne. I've trained him. And when he's angry, he's phenomenal. If I played like that, I'd be no... I'm too tense, Christ. I'm the other end. And there's always optimums. I always talk about optimums quite a lot. But you've got to find your own optimum. Where do you best play at? Like my kid, 
My boy is totally opposite to me. He's too jovial. He's too, he doesn't know the, the seriousness of the game. So I've got to bring him down. I've got to anger him a little bit. I've got to find a bit of bite in him to get him passionate to go in, you know. I, I had to bring that in me. I had to, like, bring myself down a little bit. It's weird the way I managed that. Now, Do you feel I'm going with that? I, I, claim, I claim this a little bit because I think you've evidenced, again, something I said early on, which I believe, which is that the more I listen to you, the more I watch you, you're a guy with a lot of self-knowledge. And self-knowledge is, so, is not something that's promoted in football. In other sports, it's essential. But in football for a long time, we had an army culture. We just do as you're told. Yeah, uh, self-knowledge wasn't promoted and that goes for mental well-being but it also goes like you could look at yourself as a highly tuned machine and go like if I'm playing angry I'll do the wrong things I won't I won't in my peak I think that's enormous to be able to know and listen I'm throwing praise at you because I mean it and I'm not fucking about we've got people um, who, who religiously watch this and they send in questions so Kevin Jimenez Kevin says it's, yeah. it's good I hope it's true Jimmy, I just want to say I've seen you a few times throwing shapes in the bridge bar in Beckenham. Some yeah. good moves, some good moves you've got there, mate. My question is, which ground did you go to that had the aura where you knew you were in for a tough game and who was the toughest opponent you faced? Go. Okay, yeah. So bridge we'll start off with a start with bridge bar. Yeah, that's my local. Me and my mates go for there for a drink and. Yeah, I do chuck some serious moves. So he's right on that one. I love getting on the floor. Um, but to answer the foot, yeah, I've got a bit. But to answer the um, question, it was Anfield. Going to Liverpool was like, it's phenomenal. When I first heard like Never Walk Alone, that was phenomenal. And then they had the likes of Alonso, Gerrards. Who was up top? I think Torres was up top at that time. Um, it's just like ridiculous teams, you know. that And, and also another ground, that was phenomenal was Leeds. Leeds away. You know, we had, when I was playing for Wigan, they was in a championship. We had a lot of ding dong with Leeds, being only across the road, really, Leeds and Wigan not being far apart. And going to Ellen Road, that was one that I can't wait to see them in the Premier League, hopefully, if they get there, because I believe they deserve to get that. It was just phenomenal. Um, but then you had the likes, like the big grands. I, I used to love Everton, are on top of a view they was. Um, even driving into the likes of Everton, like down the little rows, like them sort of grounds. And then you get to the Mecca grounds like Newcastle, what I call the big industrial grounds, Old Trafford, obviously, playing against like gigs and players like that. That was like, but there was some phenomenal ground. I was so lucky to play. My mum always said to me, um, Jim, when you're going into these grounds, when doing what you're doing, it'll be quickly forgotten. So make sure you soak it up. Make sure you enjoy everything. Taking the whole experience because when you're 35, this won't be here for you. And that was one thing that I really, really absorbed. It's one of the reasons that we're on here and there's two sections to go before we let you back to the garden. And, and they, they, one of them links really specifically into that because I'll come back to it. But you, everything you absorbed and what you felt about the importance of soaking up, that comes out of you, it radiates, and it radiates still to this day, and I'll tell you why. But just I'm just a conversation. So you know what you share with Iker Casillas and what you said there? Because Iker's mum uh, was a really good guide in, in his career, and he's a World Cup winning captain in Champions League, but she couldn't watch his games. And during Spain's run to the, the tournament wins they had, she fainted with the, the pressure at one stage, and she... She was too nervous to watch him. She couldn't watch him. That's my mum. Um, yeah, mama. there you go. That's the link. Yeah. 
that's unbelievable because my mum, we, Wigan, we reached the Carling Cup final against Man United. My mum has never watched me live. She can't even put on the teletext back in the day, teletext, that's how long ago. Well, she can't even put on um, TV. She was like, Jim, she'd come to the final. I dragged 40 coach load, right? She'd watch me warm up and she'd walk straight outside and having a fact. She couldn't watch. She could not watch. She gets so nervous. She watched me for another game, Wigan, for two years. she come back later, right? And I'll tell you a little story. This was fun. And Chelsea turned up at the JGB Stadium. And she see Chelsea get off the coach. And she see Big Diddy a drug bucket off. And she said, is he playing against my little Jimmy? <laughs> He's an absolute man, man in of a man. <laughs> And I was like, yes, yeah, mum, like, he's like, he's one of the, no, he's going to crush you. You make sure you're strong and all that. You give me a right pep talk. That is funny. Like, but but you've, you've, you've touched on something there that, that really struck me. I wrote it in one of the books that Neil and, and Martin published, but I mean it and it's the truth. And there's no, there's no name dropping here. I, I was TV producer for Spain in the World Cup. And if you remember their first game, they lose to Switzerland, the World Cup that they win in 2010. They lose 1-0 yeah. to Switzerland. It's a shit goal. They don't have the date. And in the tunnel afterwards, I'm down literally in the players' tunnel, where TV people and journalists don't usually get. I mean, it's the most common a day thing for you. But, but to me, it's kind of like a holy sanctum because you see things close up. And footballers often look smaller close up. But the Swiss, Iniesta had been taken off injured and he was being helped to hobble out and little Silva was one of the interview guys the Swiss made yes. them look like Lilliputians and I in that moment irrespective of all the great football I'd seen in the years before I was like these guys cannot yeah. beat those guys it, yeah. it can't yeah. happen <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and yet they do that's the yeah. phenomenal beauty of confidence psychology yeah. touch yeah. Um, intelligence that's to me what makes football just uh, you're exactly right I'd like to touch on as well we spoke about styles now I know we spoke about this quite a lot haven't we but I honestly don't believe and Pep talks about this there isn't one right way I honestly believe if you get like a 15 giants and you want to play um, in the final third and you all believe in that and you work to I think you could be dangerous do you get what I mean? I, I don't think okay. there is one style. If you've got 16 absolute athletes that are ready to one run through brick walls and you're all six foot four and you all sort of play, you know, we've seen it when you when you you need to score a goal in the last five minutes, that ball's getting shelled forward. Do you imagine playing that from the off? And you've got three units up top and you all believed in that. You could be dangerous. Like, I'm not sure a lot of teams can deal with that. So I don't believe there's one way. That's my way. That's the way I love. But I'm telling you that. Look at Sam Allardyce, what he done with Bolton. Bolton back in the day were a bunch of absolute beasts. And they would go forward with a purpose. All believed in Sam. Oh, they'd mix it up a little bit because they had the Jorkaev. But when they went forward, man, did they believe in it. And they were dangerous. I played against some real direct teams where you think, you're on for an idea here because they all believe in it. They, and when you've got that great, when you've got a team that all believe in what the manager's telling you and you actually believe, if you're going to go, you could seriously hurt teams. Do you get what I mean? Because the percentages are taken out of your favour because you ain't going to give it away in your third. And now you all playing in that third. Do you get what I mean? So you, it can be dangerous. Both ways can be dangerous. I, I grew up watching this lot, Aberdeen, and we, we, you know, in the 60s and 70s, we'd occasionally beat the big sides or we might get to a cup final, occasionally we'd win. And then Alec Ferguson comes along and he teaches us what winning's about. And he, te- he shows us how it happens as fans, but the 
players and the players educated me to want success and, and, and to, to believe that I could adapt. I, I did what you did with Sudan and Raquel. I was like, if they can do that in a pitch, I can do that in life. And then we stopped winning. And we haven't won a lot for a long time. But I still, even in that model you've proposed, which I totally agree with, and I've heard Guardiola say time again, I wouldn't want to play Jack Charlton football. I wouldn't want to play the long ball merchants yeah. where it's your percentages. Because if I had to sit and watch it, then if your team wins a couple, it feels good. If you get a trophy, it feels phenomenal. But when that declines, when it goes wrong, you're still watching ugliness. You're still watching yeah, that's- where the ball's not important. And that's why I'll never, I'll accept it. If, if, if somebody said to me, you can have six months in a trophy, I'll sign yeah. it. But at the end of the six months, scrap it and begin I'm again. Like I'm like you, but that's our love, isn't it? But there's other people's love that want to see Crash Bang Wallop. That is life, though. That's why we love the game, right? Everyone's so different and they can love what they love. And that, that's our love. We love that technical, that, that closeness. Pop, 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 pop. We love that. But there's others on the terraces that want to see get up there. Fair enough. But Good luck, when yeah. I say long ball, there's more tactics. I'm yeah. just trying to keep in a nutshell here. It ain't just about crashing it up. It's about being no, free kicks, no. it's about being cute. You know, I just don't want to say it's that raw. There's a lot more to it. There's a t- whole tactic behind long ball, as much tactic as Pep's side. Do you know what I mean? Well, if Ederson releases one of his magnificent passes because Stones and Co. have been sucking the other team in a little bit and playing around there, and instead of passing to Ederson's long ball picks a runner, or if a long ball Ederson takes a corner and he's like, I want to fuck this 60 yards because yeah. they're not ready, that's good enough. That's not ugly. That's taking it advantage of the moment and, and I think the blend is exciting and I think the blend is coming in England because of years of new coaches new players but also years of Spanish football on TV when your country won two junior world cups in the space of about 18 months under 17 and under 19 level I watched footballers who were doing it was like watching junior La Liga from 2005 and when that country's blend blends with what they've been taught about continental football at its best. You know, I expect to see England winning a tournament in my lifetime. I do. We were behind. We learned from the continent. I believe we learned through Champions League, Ray. I really believe England, uh, English teams, had enough of a hiding. You know, there's a lot of people watching Champions League and we've gone, hang on a minute, they're far superior than us. They're putting a lot more odds in their favour. And as commentators, we've just gone... They're too good. And the whole process has changed over the last 10 years, you know, getting ironed out. And even if we win grey, it was more of a point, did we really deserve that? They've absolutely ironed us out here. On a percentage, if we played, if Chelsea played Barcelona over 10 leg or 10 matches, Barcelona win um, 8-2 or something. It'd be ridiculous. Back in the day, I believe that gap's getting closer and I believe with the coaches coming over, slowly, slowly, it's getting drip-fed into us. Look at what Gareth Southgate's doing with the England team now. But as I say, I've watched so many commentators talk about, you must go forward at page. No. I watch so much football on the continent. Barcelona, I could get you clips. Barcelona played more sideways and backwards more than anyone. They own possession more than anyone. And we... I know it's about going forward, but it's about going forward at the right times, not at the wrong times, picking your passes. And I'm, I'm fed up, right, right? I'm going to have a little rant here. I'm fed up of English commentators going, you must play on the front foot and go forward. I'm a big believer in own the process first. Own the football. 
Because if you go going forward every time and you expect to score every time you get it, forward, 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 you ain't going forward with quality, are you? You're going forward down rattles that don't exist. Them coming over, the clops, the pet. There's one manager I'd love to see, Simeone. We've got no chance because he's an absolute legend. If we see Simeone over here, what, how, how good is he for the Premier League, right? How good would he be for the Premier if we ever see him over? I know I've gone off on one again. But... He's a twozer. Um, what you have to believe is that Simeone is the guy who's brilliant man-to-man and his right-hand man, the ex-goalkeeper, who's been thin as a player, Got 23 stone, and now he's looking with pretty respect again. Mono German Mono Burgos, he's the tactical guy on the training pitch. You put them together, Mono Burgos can speak English. Simeone's been trying and trying to learn English and can't. So, if he goes to England, uh, you're talking a hypothetical situation. In a hypothetical situation, he'd educate people, he'd be he'd, he's 20 times the organizer that Mourinho ever was, and 20 times yeah. the little man that Mourinho he's, ever was. He's still- and, He's a legend. He's an icon for fans to gather. It could be brilliant. Do I ever see it happening because he can't speak English? I probably don't, Jim. But if you look at probably the worst Atleti form since he took over, is still the form that's knocked the reigning European champions out in whatever fashion. And I think they wouldn't have been out if they had the right goalkeeper in goal. In my opinion, growing up, I've been taught this. I, I, I couldn't see it, but... We weren't taught to be intelligent about football. I was born in the 60s, you weren't. You were born in the 70s, I don't know. Nobody was talking about football intelligence and being analytical. You're sp- right, you're spot on there, right? And I know it's going to sound harsh, man. I played professional football from the age of 1920 to the age of 34. I can honestly, and I know I'm going to underline, uh, undermine a lot of managers here, and it's going to sound quite rude. I honestly. Roy Hodgson was one manager that pricked my ears. And he was the first manager. All my career, what I'm trying to get at, Gray, I wanted more from managers. I, I felt I wanted more. And I'd say that in front of him if they were there. I, 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 tactically, I didn't get enough from all my managers. Roy Hodgson was the first one to really open my mind. And I learned so much from him, especially now looking back. All my managers before that and after, were they good managers? I'm not saying they were bad managers, Gray. I'm just saying I want more. They was more worried about results, Gray. They was more worried about winning. They was more worried about getting in that final third and just causing aggravation. I was more worried about the game. Do you get what I mean? The process of me learning as a football player. I was, there was times, I told you before, Gray, I'd have arguments with Paul Jill. If you was to ask Paul Jill now, who was the hardest man? Jimmy. Jimmy is a nightmare. But... I was the first on his team sheet, right? Ask him. Ask him. If you ever see him, who's the first on your team sheet? Who's the best player you've ever had? I know he'd say Jimmy Bullock. And I know I'm saying Big Eddie because I used to drive him mad. I wanted to say, oh, I need more. I need more. That, without that push, I don't believe we would have exceeded what we did. I don't believe we would have done what we've done. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm here to tell you about another podcast. Yes, we believe in biodiversity. It's from the makers of The Big Interview, and it's called Between the Lines, the stories behind great sports writing. Every episode takes a classic sports book or outstanding piece of sports writing and examines how the writer crafted their story. This is a weekly show, and the series so far has featured documentaries on the miracle of Castel di Sangro and Andrea Perlo's autobiography, I Think, Therefore I Play. There's also interviews with writers like Henry Winter, Simon Cooper, Andy Mitten, and David Goldblatt. This is Tim Parks on his classic tome, A Season with Verona. The Bishop of Verona invited the citizens of Verona to burn the book because I'd put all the blasphemies in it. So that was obviously good for sales. You know, I, I was very, very pleased about that. I wish they'd done it. It would have been a happy memory. I still think that the higher level you played that with the better coaches, the better footballer you'd have been. Um, we, uh, You and I met on the 25th of January, 2012, at um, a classical, which was a cup uh, semi-final, where sure. Barca took a lead from Madrid back and it ended up 2-2, blitzkrieg of a game. I'd taken Darren Fletcher out because he was recuperating from his um, one of his right. uh, operations yeah. or whatever. And yeah. We ended we ended up singing um, "Islands in the Stream" across the bar at uh, the Hotel <laughs> Princess of Sofia. We had a few and 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 that's what that's how I introduced Julian Ball Rodriguez because we're in the last two sections of this interview, Jimmy. Because you know, for, Julian says, "How difficult was it to adapt from playing at Gravesend to playing at West Ham?" But I'm thinking about the journey from the chip shop and Gravesend to to a luxury hotel in 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 Barcelona and watching two beautiful teams play magical cup football 2-2. Of all the players we've talked about, including the Real Madrid and, and Barcelona legends that you adore watching, you never use the name Paulo de Cano in your list of of footballers that to rank with Sedan or with Riquelme. And maybe Paulo didn't win all the trophies they did, but people will forget that you signed on the same day uh, yeah. As Paolo did um, for West Ham, and I saw I watched Paolo in an interview recently. I don't know if you've seen it, but I know how clued up you are on things that you, you can pick up on the internet and YouTube. Paolo immediately said he, he remembered you and liked you, and he immediately said, "Brilliant set piece player, set piece taker, brilliant free kick taker." But he he didn't have a dig. But you know what Paolo's like? He said, "Could could have achieved a lot more. Really good footballer." Does that mean? Or is that typical of the Paolo that you knew? And, and having started at Gravesend and, and, or having been at Gravesend before coming to West Ham, try and describe that, the, the man that you, you found there, less so for his eccentricities, but for the brand of footballer that he was. So, so looking back, for me, coming from Gravesend, to North, um, Gravesend and North Fleet to West Ham, there's such a big gap there from non-league to Premier League. You've got to imagine, Gray, I was a West Ham fan as well, so it's such a surreal moment, me going, almost claret and blue still on my walls, to the boyhood club I love for non-league. There's so much jump there and scale, it's almost, it's Royal Rovers stuff. You don't, like, that, that's, that's ridiculous, right? That's, that does not, happen that 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 you've got more chance i would say of near enough winning the lottery like how does that happen how does a boy from grazing north do that not only does that happen 
I'll go on trial. I have, Roger Cross was third in line, by the way. He turned up to a grazing North League game. By the way, I wasn't playing that well at grazing. I hit a three, four-week period where I was scoring goals. And Roger Cross was there, West Ham scout. And he come up to me, and we had a lot of characters there. And he come up to me and goes, son, do you want to try at West Ham? I thought he was a, one of the boys put him up for it. I thought, oh, come on, mate, behave. Like, who's put you up this? My mate Mitchell Crawley is a lunatic. I thought, he's up to me. I said, no, I'm not having that. He went, Jim. I'm not winding you up. You've got a trial at West Ham. I still didn't believe I was, nah, not having it. So I turned up at Chadwell Heath Monday morning, 10 o'clock. Who's there? Paolo Di Canio's there. I didn't know Paolo. I'm a West Ham fan. He's at there. He's there the first day I'm there. Frank Lampard, <laughs> Rio, they're all there. I'm on trial. I remember the first day Harry wanted to see what I had. He put me one-on-one with Frank Lampard. One-on-one, Gray, on a quad mire. I'm a 19-year-old boy in a 15-year-old body, I'm thinking, one-on-one with Frank. Are you joking? Frank was a beast. He's absolutely tore me a new one. I've asked, like, I've, I've kept me own. Paolo's up next. I'm one-on-one with Paolo. Like, this is like, I'm going. I've got my dad watching in the car park because back then, West Ham allowed hunters to come in and watch training. My dad's there. I'm thinking, this is fucking mental. Like, how the fuck am I here? Like, I don't understand this process. Like, I'm just decorating on the Friday, Gray. I'm decorating on the Friday, and now I'm at my club. I'm, to, today, I still don't realise what that, that that was a total head fuck. So, for me to answer any football questions in that is not possible. It's a total head fuck, right? So, then all of a sudden, two weeks later, Harry gives me a two year contract. Um, sorry, a three year pro contract. And he, he, this is brilliant. This is how good Harry was. I was in a county. He goes, you all right with your contract? 750 quid a week, sweet with that? I couldn't say yes or no, could I? I would have took £7.50. And he was like, sweet, son, if you're good enough, you'll get in my first thing. The first thing he said to me, you need to get in the gym. You need to build up. Gray, I'm telling you, I, I lifted more weights than Jeff Capes. I couldn't put on muscle mass. I couldn't put on muscle mass. My body was too, I had too much energy. It wouldn't put on. I got more defined, but Harry's just seeing this scrawny little kid and the Premier League was more industrious. It needed stronger men. I get that. But then all of a sudden come this player, Paolo Di Canio. He signed the same day as me, as well as, remember Mark Vivian Foley, God bless him, who, who we lost. Yeah, God bless his soul, yeah. yeah. Um, so I signed the same day as him, as long, along with Gavin Holligan, who come up, along with Kingstonian, another non-league player. So it's me and him signed, Paolo. From that day, I sat next to Paolo for three years in the change room. Graham, what I learned from that man was not only football, was life around football. Now, the way you conduct yourself, the way you dress, the way you manner, like your manners around football. And people know Paolo as this loose cannon, like this absolute genius of a lunatic. Let me tell you something about that man. He thought so much about everything, every move he done, he thought about. He brought his own staff with him to West Ham to take the warm-up. You know, he see gaps in the market there. He see gaps in football. Oh, this ain't good enough, you know. And Harry sort of went with it. Okay, what you got? He sort of like, we had fish and chips on a Friday, mate. We was having fish and chips as a pre-match meal. Paolo, no. He changed everything about that club. He just, he even changed, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Do you remember West Ham on Forever Bland Bubbles? Yeah. It's a big feature, like massive song, back to when my dad was a kid. Paolo changed the song and he brought out Paolo Di Canio. <laughs> he, he come out to his own song. I'm not like, 
is unbelievable. But my dad, basically, I've got so much, it would almost be a different podcast, Ray. I've got so much about the Canio, but there was one episode where I said, Dad, he sort of like was in the Frank McAvenny era, you know, Cotty, all back then. And I said, Dad, come and watch this. Alan Devonshire. What a player. Almost Bobby Moore as a kid growing up, real back in the day. And I went, Dad, watch this, watch this, come and watch this bloke, right? Unbelievable. And he went, nah, 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 nah. And I said, Dad, just come watch him. I dragged him to Upton Park one game. It was a night game under floodlights. It was when Paolo scored two goals. And he cut on the inside, me and my dad were right behind it. He cut inside, he nutmegged the second uh, midfielder. He give a lollipop with his left peg. I remember it. You know when you can see things clear as a... And he come inside, he bent this ball, right, honestly, into the far corner. My dad stood up and just gave him the biggest standing ovation for 20... He was there 25 minutes, my dad, and he went, that's enough. Walked out and he said, that bloke... And he run around with his shirt. You know how he used to just go mad? And he run around with the shirt on his head, above his head, and my dad said, that's the best I've ever seen at West Ham. They're like phenomenal ball players. There's little things he'd done in that game. 25 minutes, Gray, he was there, my dad. I've seen enough. The boys, the man was magnificent. I'm so glad you described it that way, Tim, because there's no arguing that the Canyon can be rated in terms of ultimate achievement with Zola and Schmeichel and Bergkamp because for one reason or another, he didn't achieve as much as them. But in terms of across my life, the guys with the most extraordinary genius skill that I've seen, he's, yeah. he's in that mix at least. Yes. He was capable of outstanding technique, but mad maverick invention, or at least it looked like that. Maybe some of it's fine, but he saw pictures and was able to paint those pictures that nobody else around him at that time was seeing. Oh, ridiculous. Oh, he, he done stuff in training. Great, great. He, he had no pace whatsoever. Um, he's probably the slowest player with the biggest amount of ability I've ever seen. He used to have, you know, the chop, like he used to chop players. Oh, wow. Like you'd go for, I know it was coming. I'm like, I know you're going to chop this. <laughs> I've still got to block it. For some reason you block it and he'd just go chop, chop, chop. He chopped so many players. Like I was phenomenal. But there's one thing I noticed about Paolo. He definitely preferred to be a big fish in a small pond. He was one of them. That was a big exaggeration of a big fish in a small pond. If Paolo wasn't number one, if Paolo wasn't at the armband, if Paolo didn't wear the 10, if Paolo wasn't held as a king, you ain't got the same Paolo with her. And Harry knew that. Harry, that's part of management as well. You know, you talk about tactics all you want. Player, you know, we all talk about player management. Pat, Harry played him to perfection. There was time we had another nutcase, John Moncur at West Ham, right? Like start start throwing the ball there because John comes up. We had the podcast with Scott Minto, who's at um, West Ham yeah. with you, and he talked about Monker. And I've heard you talk about John before. And if you remember uh, the guy who, who got on a team sheet a lot for West Ham, but I don't think that anybody outside the hardcore West Ham fan base have any idea about what kind of character he was. Player, but hell of a footballer. He was a slight boy and learning away, and he was a, like a, a, pop, a great player. Not in Paolo's league, granted, but a great player for West Ham. But an absolute nutcase. The biggest nutcase I've ever met in football. Like, he, he done things... Like, him and Paolo, this is what I was going to kill. Harry had to play that very carefully. You imagine this as a team. Razor Ruddock, John Moncur, Paul Kitson, who was a lunatic, Steve Lomas... 
who was not right. Um, Trevor Sinclair. Um, then he brings Paolo Di Canio. Are you sure? <laughs> like, Ian Wright, have you got enough <laughs> in that team? Like, you can't... How do you manage all that lot? Like, that's phenomenal. Like, and then you bring over Bevo Suka after yeah. he scored the chip. So every time he's playing at a West Ham, he thinks he can score a chip every two minutes. It, used to drive Harry mad. It's chips with everything, isn't it? At the mate, chips, chips oh, mate, honestly, he put chips upon chips. It was like <laughs> ridiculous. And then his mate, who went in for present, president, presidency for Croatia, who's the big centre-half? Oh, match. The match. But what I was going to get on, Harry managing John Monker and Paolo, he had to put them in the same team all the time. Because if you give a free kick to Paolo, John would go off on one. If you give a free kick to John, Paolo would go off on one. It's absolutely... Harry talks about it quite a lot, so he had to really manage these characters, which was phenomenal. But Paolo, great. Well, it's just phenomenal to be around. I learned so much. And before, before we let you back to the, um, the chrysanthemums and um, the garden and the slabs, <laughs> I, I, need to, I, need to, I need to draw you on something where, again, I'm going to praise you because... When I was watching Soccer AM when you were still playing, Soccer AM was really, really funny. And then I went to a phase where I couldn't watch it as much and it changed and it went to a different host. And the Soccer AM that I watch right now, I'd have to say that, you know, maybe there's a lack of some of the characters that were there. But the the sections with you and Tubes or Peter, if you want to call it, and yeah. Fenners, when any of you have got a football at your feet, when it's the drills around professional yeah. clubs when it's out the back with the fans one you've reinvented it three of you in a way that i think is is hugely enjoy, enjoyable and i i can't miss and secondly if fuck me if you're not a better more technical player now even than you were then when i see you doing the drills or filling the, the top the top bin in in the goals and the things you're still doing with the ball it, it, it absolutely buzzes with energy and love of the game and I think you've reinvented Soccer AM in a way that it, it invigorates me uh, when I watch you all with yeah. the ball and I'm talking about what you all do with the ball particularly and I said this to you and, and Tubes for an amateur player I think he's got yeah. enormous oh, player. the ball yeah. he's a player try and describe the process of what you three not not the sketch yeah. not the guests not the music yeah. But when the three of you are on a, on the ball or out at Bristol, what is the aim of what you're trying to do and how much are you enjoying it? I was always close to Soccer Am anyway. They used to show a lot of my clips and this and that. So I've had a bit of a connection. I've been doing, you know, the drill now. First of all, we owe so much applause to Fenners. Fenners is the main driver of the show. You know, you've been around TV, right? What I think's good, not it isn't necessarily going to come out on TV good. Do you know what I mean? So TV is a different, it's a whole different beast. So that's Fenners' game. What I know is football. Fenners has sort of got them together and gone, he's had the image really, and gone, hang on, how can I make this work? How can Jimmy be at his best? Now, me being a presenter that I am now, isn't me reading off the auto cue, Gray. I'm not going to be one of them reading off the auto cue like you see on Sky Sports. That isn't me. So he's got me over moving three or four cameras around me with a football, put me in a scenario that I'm comfortable with, away I go. And he describes it, we get magic. That's when we get magic. We don't know when we're going to get magic, but that's... So basically, me and Chews go out and do the drills. I think it's my sixth year doing, you know, the drill. The first ever drill we've done... Fenners wasn't sure how it was going to look, how it was going to pan out, but we asked Dean Saunders and Mark Crossley. We went up to, uh, I believe it was Chesterfield. We went up to Chesterfield, got on a park, 
Dean Saunders got the goals out, put the mannequins, and that was our first drill. And from there, like everything, it sort of branched out, it found its own way, I found my own way, we've got our own little catchphrases. Before we know it, we call it bulldogging it up. We make an extension of ourselves. He says, bulldog it up more, Jim, it's too serious. I want it serious, but I want the kids to react to it. I want the, it takes time, it takes a bit of nurturing, it changes every year. Now we're going around these phenomenal clubs been with Rakitic and Rivaldo and all over the world, Celtic, Rangers, at these huge clubs, been at their training grounds to show what we can give. And you saying about what I've got, I'm always asking questions. When's too old, Gray? If you're still doing it and you still look like you can look, I'm 41, but I still feel like I can play in tight areas. The hard thing is, you've got such a wide audience there, where do you stop? Do you get what I mean? And Fenners would go, just keep it as general as we can, Jim. So that's what we try and do, keep it as general. Sometimes you'll see me going in and nitty gritty, and Fenners would go, more, 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 that'll do. And that's management. You know, either put the reins on it or it let me go. But another thing that I've learned is to get it across, there's a camera there. At first, Gray, I was turning my back on camera. They couldn't yeah, yeah. hear me. I didn't know. Like, I'm, I'm a footballer. And over time become really friendly with this camera. I've become myself. You know, I sort of started, like, stiffening up a little bit, like, talking a bit different. And in the end, I thought, fuck this, it can only work if I'm gymming. Over time, Fen has taught me how to, like, position my body. Basically, there's an audience there, present for them. I'm still learning now, great. I'm still learning. You know, every time I go on that show, from it's such a well-oiled machine, that show. Yap Stam come on the other week and he wrote an amazing piece on his social media. Said, I couldn't believe how well-oiled the machine Soccer Am was. The professionalism, the quality and the laughs as well. And it's a right big mixture we got in. And that's down to, I'm going to tell you now, not me, Tubes, yeah. Fenners and the producer Darius and all the boys in there. I'm very much of a free spirit. They let me do what I want to do. Have I learned a lot? Yes, but they've taught me so much because TV wasn't my game. You love football so much and you've got such a brain, which is part of why we agreed to do this because I think it's commonly known that you're really quick-witted and it, all the cheeky chappy stuff, that, that doesn't even cover it because you're sharp mentally, you're funny verbally and your character oozes out. And, and as far as I'm concerned, the more people like like that in football there are the better because we see a lot of automatons and robots so that's fine right you're naturally like that but we both know that you're you're a proper thinker about football and you've got strong ideas do you think you'll ever find the urge so strong that you go back and reapply that to football in some form or that i i'm talking about necessarily i've got to be a manager or a coach but you know what i'm talking about yeah or do, you, or do you think that you've found satisfaction in the way that the camera loves you sufficiently that you don't need to go back to the game? I ask this question to myself all the time, right? First of all, people don't realise how much they think I'm this joker, they think I'm this character, a bit of a wild character. Trust me, I don't believe I would have achieved what I achieved if I wasn't a deep thinker of it. So that's answered that. That's put that away. The second piece, I went on that show, um, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, The Jungle. Now, that was the first show I ever went on after football. And I believe that, I don't think, if I didn't do that show, I don't believe I'd have gone into TV as much as I have done. So has that given me a different path? Yes. Has that sort of showed the extension of Jimmy Bullard, The Joker? Yes. Has that scared off a lot of chairmen? I believe a manager's in me. I've got too much. I honestly believe it. But the more I go down this path, the more I'm scared of, 
I need a strong chairman to back me because at the minute, I'm this joker character that while I'm a little bit wild, I know that, I'm not silly, people portray me as that, I know I'm a bit different, I think different outside the box, but I think it takes a strong manager to give Jimmy Bullard a manager job. Now, I don't care whether that's non-league or professional, I've done a long league non-league stint, I don't really want to go into non-league because it wasn't enough for me, I can only train twice a week. If I ever go into management, and I believe I can only ever manage, I don't. I think my my um, thoughts on football are too strong to be an assistant. I couldn't, have, or I'd have to be under a manager that believes my way. Otherwise, I'd be arguing. I'd be tug of warring with him that an assistant can't do. He needs to be glued to his manager. So, in a way, I need to be under a manager that really has my beliefs, and vice versa. Or a strong chairman's coming back at Jimmy Bullard. Up. Great, the question's out there to be asked. Am I going to be doing TV soccer and forever? No. Do I believe I can manage? Yes. To which level? I don't know. You know, it's it, there's 100 questions got to be asked there. But the more I do it, the more I think. And I, I hope I'm wrong that I'm sort of knocking myself out of ma- a management's job. Do you get what I mean by that? I'm sort of going down a different route. If I ever had the moment to sit down in front of a board and chairman, I could sway their opinion if they give me that opportunity. There's three things I think to summarise this here. Number one, we've seen just like glimpses on the drill that you can coach. Two, yeah. um, it's patent that when you when you want to, you can interact and read people. You can you can man manage, and and I think three, um, you know, I'd pay to watch the brand of football you would ask your team to to play, and then after that, there's a million things the wind in your face when you're a coach or a manager at any level is gigantic and you need you know the right people you need the right resources you need a little bit of luck blah 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 but it would sadden me if at some stage we don't see you applying what you believe to a football club at some level and just like i said about you as a player i imagine i think the higher level at which you coach there are some people who are born to say right i can take this raw material and work it all the way up and there are some people where it's better to skip the steps and say, right, we're talking the same language already. Let's get down to it and I'll make you better. And it seems to me, it looks to me that that's where you should be. So I will close this by saying, Jimmy, this has been a privilege that I expected it to be because I admire you as much for your wit. But um, I knew that we shared a love of football that would come out in this podcast. So I'm indebted to you for uh, taking so much time and, and listening with patience to my questions. And our listeners will have loved having Jimmy Bullard on the big interview. So, Jim, thank you. Thank you, God. No, I've loved it so much. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true, Graham Hunter. And back page. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at ACAST and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson.